Summit 2023. I'm your host, Dooner. We've had a, a great event so far. Wonderful keynote. A lot of fireside chats. Everyone trying to figure out how to get more sustainable, more lean, run better in this economy. And how do you do it? And how do you do it when a market's down? You know, a couple of years ago, VC funds flying everywhere. Everybody has an interest in this, but now a lot of companies are just fighting to survive out there. How do they get on board with a net zero agenda moving forward in 2024? I hope today we'll get some answers. We have some amazing sponsors who helped us put on this show. I'd like to give a shout out to Link Logistics, Sheer Logistics, and Volterra. Thank you guys so much for uh, putting this together. Those of you who are listening right now, a couple things to do, a couple orders of business before we get into the show. You need to go to live.freightwaves.com. You got to register for this event if you haven't yet. And the reason why is you can win a Yukon Solo Stove 2.0. We got a picture of this thing? Yeah, show the people what they can win. You go there, you register there. It's a random drawing. You're going to take home one of these Yukon stoves. I'm not even sure what it does. So when you get it, you send me a product review. I'll have you on what the truck and we'll find out. It looks like you could do some like s'mores or some marshmallows or something. It looks pretty cool. Definitely looks super efficient. Also, when you're there, I want to see you in person. It's been too long. In about 47 days, on November 7th through the 9th, we're meeting right down the street here in Chattanooga at the convention center. We're taking over the entire city. Go to live.freightwaves.com, get some tickets. Use my code F3WTT. I think you'll get the best deal you can get on the site. You'll get the biggest discount on the tickets. It's going to be a great time. You know, this initiative, we're going to talk, we're going to come at this from a lot of different avenues today. We're going to be coming from zero emissions charging and real estate. But before we get there, let's take a look at how this is benefiting those of you who work at the ports. All right, check it out, guys. I'm over one of these super ships here. I just wanted to show you, like, the smokestacks here. Now these ships have to use shore power when they're here, but before when we used to work, they used to run idle, so you would just see black soup coming out of there. And what happens is it starts to go into our cabs as we're coming back and forth across the boom. So that was some of the particulates that we dealt with for a long time. Now the companies are going green, but they do ship the shore power now. So they plug up and use electricity from the dock when they're here, which uh, saves us a lot of trouble from breathing all this stuff. Yeah, really cool. Hey. Shout out to the port for getting that done. You don't need black lung running those cranes up there. We got a lot of good guests on today. We're going to have Rod Cook, Rob Cook, Chief Technology Officer over at Sheer Logistics. We're going to have Tyler Deaton. He's uh, the VP of Building Solutions over at Link Logistics. And we're going to have Scott Fisher, Sales and Business Development over at Volterra. And I believe that's Rob Cook already sitting in the green room. He's the CTO over at Sheer Logistics. Let's bring him up on the show. Rob, welcome to What the Truck. Welcome to the Net Zero Carbon Summit. Hello, Dinner. Thanks for having me. Rob, where are you coming in from? Tell us a little bit about yourself before we find out your worldview. Well, I, uh, I'm actually in Cary, North Carolina. Our company is uh, headquartered at uh, Chesterfield, Missouri, right out of St. Louis. Uh, I have about uh, 30 years in the industry. Uh, I've been working uh, in some very large uh, consulting firms. I've worked in some very large uh, transportation firms. I was vice president of client services for a transportation management uh, provider for software. About 10 years ago, I made the, uh, the jump to uh, Sheer Logistics. Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, my, our founder and my boss, uh, Joe Eggerson, I 
really liked his vision for uh, providing uh, managed transportation solutions to customers uh, powered by technology and innovation and data analytics. And, you know, the geek in me just really had to jump on board with it. Well, I like to hear. Well, for those who don't know, you know, you made the jump 10 years ago to, sh to Shear. But for those of us who maybe haven't heard of it, what does Shear do? What do you all get into in 2023? Yeah, yeah thanks for, for asking. It's best to uh, describe uh, Shear Logistics is really to understand our, our four pillars of uh, service offers that we have out there. One is managed transportation. And I got to be very clear on what I mean by managed transportation. Uh, with managed transportation, you know, some people out there, you know, they might have some dedicated lanes, uh, three or four dedicated lanes. They call that managed transportation. That's not what we define it. Uh, we partner with our customers to offer a complete outsource solutions, uh, both inbound, outbound, rating, routing, uh, optimization. Certainly on the outbound side, uh, on the inbound side, uh, we have customers where we manage thousands of their uh, suppliers. Uh, this is across all modes, uh, across all geographies. Uh, and again, on the uh, geek side of me, the, uh, the thing I like about it as well, too, we also manage the data flow. Uh, we have a robust uh, data reporting tool, a data warehouse. Uh, we're able to drive freight costs down to line level, down below line level. Uh, we provide uh, GL coding uh, allocations down to GL, uh, cost to serve type reporting to our customers as well. And so there's our first pillar and our primary pillar as well. We also offer managed capacity solutions through our uh, freight brokerage group. Uh, our third is uh, uh, consulting. Um, examples with that would be uh, carrier procurement programs and, and also optimization studies, both transportation and network. And then finally, my area, technology. I'm the chief technology officer. And you know, one of the things that we saw, you know, when I came on board is if you're gonna offer true managed transportation solutions, you gotta have a robust integration platform. So we invested heavily uh, in our proprietary invest in our proprietary uh, integration platform. Uh, we integrate in and out of ERP systems, warehouse management systems, uh, order management systems. Uh, right now we have literally thousands of integrations uh, with carrier and uh, technology, freight technology platforms out there. And Share Exchange is really the catalyst that powers the CO2 dashboards as part of this summit today. Well, I'm looking at one of your press releases and it says you recently launched a new CO2 emissions reporting offering for shippers. I haven't gotten a chance to use it yet and maybe some of our viewers haven't either. Tell us about it. What, what does it do? How does it work? Well, it's, we been doing this for five years, uh, Dinner. It's we've been calculating CO two emissions uh, uh, in our data warehouse for five years, and transparently, uh, the it wasn't really re well received. I shouldn't say well received. There wasn't really a lot of noise out there at one point, uh, up until maybe probably the past uh, twelve months. I think at that point we did get. Well, it's not really fair. We did get. We did get some studies, some requests for studies from customers, but primarily they were maybe European based, uh, and some uh, domestically based as well too. But I, I think the regulatory environment uh, from the past uh, twelve months has kind of uh, launched a, a little bit of a sea change in terms of uh, wanting to understand about CO two, and certainly we have all this experience with developing or really uh, providing these scope three emissions out there on our dashboards. And I think some of the people are going to, you know, what's kind of propelling that you're going to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, some acronyms, uh, CSRD in Europe, uh, here in the United States, uh, SDC, the Clean Power Plan. 
uh, I think people are starting to scramble a little bit to, to provide some of these baselines. And, you know, I promise I wasn't going to read something, but I got I couldn't resist this. This is something that came out over the weekend. And this is from Galvin Newsom, the governor of California, where, you know, he's going to sign a bill to require some CO2 reporting. And he recognizes there's a lot of opposition to the bill which will require companies operating in the state of California to measure categories of emissions, including complex category linked to supply chains and end users known as scope three. And scope three is us. And that's what we've been doing for the past five years. And so we saw a need out there, the shipper marketplace, uh, who's kind of struggling to report these baselines. And so we decided to offer these dashboards to the broader shipper community. You know, that's really interesting. And you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time right now, too, because you have some providers who might be thinking, you know, we can't focus on CO2 right now. The, the market's gone down. we gotta, we got to focus on survival. But the problem there is that the shippers are not stopping focusing on, on CO2. They, th- this is a big ask that they have from their boards, from consumers. So they have to. So how about you guys? Why are you focusing on CO2 emissions now? Is it, is it that market need? Is that shipper demand? Yeah, it is. And, 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 and again, you know, it's like I was saying, there's going to be a regulatory environment uh, that's going to force this change out there. Dinner. And again, you know, I'm going to be very careful as we kind of go down this piece as well, too. You know, we're not stating that, uh, hey, you got to convert over to electronic vehicles next week or that the world is ending because we're not reporting this piece. But it's very, very clear uh, that at the very least, there's going to be a regulatory requirement uh, either in the next year or next five years to start reporting baseline information on CO2. Now, you're seeing that in California. Um, If you're doing business in Europe, absolutely, it is a requirement to start, start reporting these baselines out there. So we just see a need right now to offer this service to our broader Sherpa community and also offer our advice as we go through this. Uh, you know, I just stated a while ago, like with uh, Gavin Newsom's uh, you know press release, he said in that last sentence that the complexity around scope three and, you know, sometimes see it, you know, we get caught up in the buzzwords of CO2, you know, where it's scope one, scope two and scope three and scope three is third parties, which is why sheer logistics is, is third parties. And it's by far the hardest to calculate. And certainly with our five years experience doing this, we can offer to our shipper community a way to navigate the pitfalls and the landmines out there to be able to report these baselines accurately. Why is that so challenging? What, what are some of the challenges that you all face when it comes to reporting? Oh, wow. You know, where do we begin at with this? You know, it's like if you look at if you look at the national or the international standards out there, you're going to hear things like GLEC, Global Logistics Emission Council. You're going to hear things like ISO 14083, which is now the international standard. When you see some of the things in terms of the uh, reporting requirements, uh, GLEC ISO measures reportings on CO2s in in three different categories. One is sufficient, which is pretty obvious, and then good and excellent. It's almost logarithmic when you start looking at this. Uh, Going from sufficient to good is an order of magnitude. And the reason why is because GLEC does provide with you a set of defaults that you can use. Because unless you've got a sensor tied to a truck's tailpipe, you're not going to know exactly how much CO2 you're emitting out there. So there is a lot of defaults. But unfortunately, with these defaults, 
becomes errors in reporting. And in certain cases, especially on international moves, uh, you can, if you use the defaults, then you can over, you run the risk of over reporting CO2. And if you're actually dabbling in the carbon credit marketplace, uh, over reporting CO2, you're actually going to be paying more for the credit than what you should be. Alternatively, and domestically, uh, the defaults will actually underreport in our, some certain situations. So to get to a good or to an excellent, you got to be able to tear apart the data and be able to analyze it accordingly. And that's where our Shear Exchange Network integration platform plays such an important role in that. Uh, small examples, uh, <clears throat> you know, like for the international standards, say ISO fourteen hundred eight three they don't recognize the mode of intermodal. Uh, it's really a drave move to a railhead and then the actual rail move itself. Uh, when we're integrated into an ERP system, we might get one intermodal move with an origin and destination pair. We've got to break those legs apart. The same thing with an international ocean move. Uh, it could be a door-to-door -door move. You could have two drays and an ocean move. We've got to break those apart, report separately the drays, and then the actual ocean move, and then the emission factors. The emission factors are the factors that the international standards have agreed on that a mode produces in terms of CO2 are different in every single region by every single mode, and they're changing constantly. So there's a lot of complexity going on here. And so being able to uh, collapse that complexity into a service offering to our shippers to be, to be able to provide an accurate baseline is absolutely key right now. Rob, you've given us a lot to think about. People who want to learn more about this reporting tool, how to get into Scope 3, how to work with Shear, where do I send them to? Shearlogistics.com. Be glad to share what we can with them. Shear it on Shear. Thank you so much for your time today, Rob. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you having me. Take it easy. Have a good time. All right. Meanwhile, I don't know if this site is uh, actually green. It's definitely not OSHA compliant, that's for sure. It's never good. It's not the press to work. <laughs> it just seems like one horrible thing after another is going to happen to these men. Speaking of that noise, I just got a chainsaw. Leatherface just showed up at the studio, by the way. Got to set that up for Halloween. Thank you so much, Carrie. Ed Armstrong. Well, he didn't lose any fingers there. I was, I was getting a little nervous watching that video. <laughs> Our next guest, he knows a little thing about real estate and building. It is Tyler Dayton. He's the VP of Building Solutions over at Link Logistics. Tyler, welcome to the show. Where are you coming in from today? Hey, thanks for having me today on your show, show today, Dooner, and, and thanks for everyone for tuning in. Uh, I'm sitting in my office here in New York, actually. Ooh, New York City. Nice time in the city. Unless you're a Jets fan. It's been a little rough. <laughs> well, hey, what's good? Are, are, is Link faring better than uh, the Jets and, and Aaron Rodgers are? How, what are you guys all about? <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, I think we're doing pretty well. So, um, you know, essentially, you know, before kind of introducing myself, also just wanted to kind of provide the audience with a brief overview of who Link is for those of, those, for those of you out there that don't know who we are, right? We're essentially the largest U.S. only owner operator of last mile industrial real estate and uh, with over 535 million square feet of space across the, the U.S. And I think a fun little factoid that helps kind of illustrate that scale is that 
more than 5% of the total US GDP passes through our properties on an annual basis. So, you know, I think that's just a really unique uh, and interesting factoid out there. And obviously we've been focused a lot of efforts around our sustainability goals and targets and our, our public commitments around all of that. That's that's a lot of GDP that you you guys touch. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> a little a little cowbell for all that GDP touching. Well, with all that GDP touching, I was looking at one of your releases here, and it said that you have six sustainability projects in the works that are supposed to wrap by, I believe, twenty twenty five. Tell us a little bit about what you are working on. Yeah, sure. So, as my role here at Link as the VP of Building Solutions, we're essentially the enterprise level construction and project management arm for our, our sustainability department and our goals. So we oversee our current efforts like our solar initiatives, our LED initiatives, our energy management initiatives. Um, so essentially we have a goal of 100% LED or high efficiency lighting by 2025, 300 megawatts of solar by 2025. Um, we have a 100% renewable goal by 2024. We also have all of our new developments uh, planning or in process of being LEED certified and obviously carbon neutrality operations by 2025 kind of the overarching goal there, right? So I, I come to this role here with uh, a background, started my career in, in, in property management and operations, kind of the nuts and bolts of it and lived uh, before my life before Link in construction and sustainable design and construction and actually worked for a, a developer uh, in Boston. I heard you were a Boston guy, so spent a few years up there. It's a great city. Um, so that's kind of the, the the lens that I bring to this role from from a from an operational standpoint. These broad and 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 strategic goals for the firm. Someone like myself had to come in and try to execute on them across this massive portfolio. So no easy task. No. And you mentioned Boston. Uh, drivers out there, be careful on steroid drive. Don't bring your box trucks or your semis. It's not a it's not a tall bridge. That's our local can opener over there. You know, I was looking at your background, and one thing that you focus on that I probably don't think about enough is lighting as well. I mean, I do on set, but I, I don't, I haven't thought a ton about LEDs and sustainability. What kind of projects do you have going on with LED and what's good there? Yeah, so as part of this goal of 100% uh, LED or high efficiency lighting across our portfolio by 2025, right? We think about it from a decreased energy consumption standpoint. That's very simplistic, right? LED lights are more efficient and therefore obviously re reduce your energy consumption and therefore reduce your utility bill, AKA your operating expenses. But I think kind of a, a benefit that sometimes isn't always thought about, right? Is it's improved lighting quality for spaces and for the people that are working and, 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 you know, on their day-to-day -day job inside of our spaces, we're trying to provide better light quality and an improved environment for them to work in. And given the breadth and the scale of our portfolio, we've essentially completed about 20 million square feet of LED retrofits over the past two years. Approximately 40% of our existing portfolio has been re retrofitted via just, you know, organic efforts as spaces turn and LED lighting has become kind of a standard across the industry, right? And we've, we've got another 30 million of square feet targeted this year and our goal is to ramp up significantly over the next year and the following. And essentially we've just rolled out a national program with a partner EMC, who's our national program manager and is helping us install and manage all of this large volume of work. But that it doesn't just stop there, right? With the LEDs, right? We're also doing similar things with the, with the solar uh, goal of 300 megawatts. We are driving towards our goal with you know, 65 megawatts complete to date. We got about another give or take 30 megawatts planned before the year end. 
and we continue to go from there, right? The development cycle for solar projects are not always linear. So, you know, certainly have a long, long runway to go and, and progress to be made, but we've got a lot of work in the pipeline. We're actually in the process of trying to revamp our strategy to think holistically about the program uh, to see if there's any opportunities for disruption in the market so we can achieve our goals and also, you know, offer these ancillary benefits to our customers around renewable energy uh, and 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 reduced energy costs for our customers inside the buildings. Yeah, I was curious about that. How does a how does a sort of real estate logistics company think about energy management, especially in the car in the context of decarbonization? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. You know, so this goes back to kind of my early days of my career of of, of operations and project management. Again, you know, keeping the building running efficiently and effectively. And it's, and it's a foundational approach, right? Data drives everything. But what I'm, you know, where we're driving this whole process and this energy management, which we're calling energy solutions, right, is a holistic approach where it's back to basics of three phases, measure, reduce, offset. You can't reduce your, your energy consumption or you can't offset your energy co- consumption if you don't measure it and you don't understand what's happening inside the, the building, right? So we need these da- we need the data, we need to extract the data out of the building, provide analytics around, around that that will drive insights, right? So right now we're kind of firmly in that measure phase as we're kind of building this program, um, which is all about getting that data environment uh, built and extracting the data from the building, which is where my team comes in. Essentially, we're trying to basically install data extraction kits, AKA understanding what the utility usage is in those buildings in this sort of environment in the industrial real estate sector, because it is a triple net sector where the tenants have the utility accounts in their names, right? We're kind of flying blind in that in terms of understanding how they're using the energy in these spaces. So effectively, we're trying to extract utility data from those buildings, again, understand what they, what and how energy is being consumed. And then, and only then, can we move on to the next phase of reducing and becoming more efficient with our energy, right, usage in the buildings, and then moving over into solar and other renewables to offset their usage, right? You don't want to over green your building or something like that with solar or wind or battery storage or anything like that without first understanding how you're using the energy and how you've already reduced your energy and becoming more efficient and getting that property running like a Swiss watch. You know, nothing happens in freight without partnerships, especially good partnerships. And I imagine this decarbonization journey is the same thing. How are you collaborating and, and partnering with other groups? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's one is internal collaboration, right? We have my department touches all of the various stakeholders internally, right? Leasing, asset management, legal, accounting, all of those groups, right? Property management, construction, we're, we're collaborating all the time internally, but then externally, right? We are partnering with firms like Carrier uh, with our energy management and energy solutions program. Uh, and utilizing their eco energy systems and their cortex platforms because they have the they have the experience they have the breadth they have the knowledge of understanding how to deploy these sorts of rinse and repeat installations for these energy and data extraction kits that you know we value as a partner with them you know I've worked with Carrier and Carrier is 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 a is a name that 
is synonymous with the real estate industry. Um, and, you know, we felt that this would be a great, you know, partnership and a lot of synergy around their ability to help us scale this sort of program across our entire portfolio. Wow. Well, hey, Tyler, people listening, they they want to retrofit their LED. They need some they need some solar. Uh, they need to team up with with your team over there. Where do I send them to? Yeah, uh, certainly always go on at linklogistics.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to always continue the conversation. Tyler, thank you so much for your time today. Take care and thanks for joining us on the Net Zero Carbon Summit. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. You know, he mentioned he mentioned Boston. Let's go elsewhere to the Mass Pike to rate some strap work in this video. And if you look closely at that car to what he's carrying, it's a basketball hoop. He's going, he's going through the tunnel with a full basketball hoop strapped to the bumper of his car. Like to see uh, Larry Bird put a three through there. Maybe uh, Mikhail come up. I hope he didn't come over to Starro Drive. You gotta, you gotta be impressed by the clearance here too. Those tunnels are not big down in uh, down in Boston. I doubt our next guest has done anything like that. You haven't done anything like that, have you? Scott Fisher, Sales and Development, over at Volterra. Scott, what's happening? You know, I was looking at your background. I saw that you are a softball dad. I have myself just become a little league dad. My six and eight year olds are in little league, and it's uh, it's every night. So before we even get into this, I'd ask you for some advice. What advice do you have for a new little league dad? Yeah, and my daughter, uh, great. First of all, thanks so much for having me uh, on this. Um, you know, my daughter's 16 now. And, and so I, I definitely have learned to mellow over, over the years um, <laughs> to the point where win or lose, how well she does, um, you know, it's all good. <laughs> so I don't know if I had that vibe in the, uh, in the early days as much. You know, my kid did get hit by a pitch the other night, and um, but he was by the time he crossed home plate because another kid knocked him through. He was psyched. We gave knuckles, and he was ready to take that <laughs> that pitcher on again. It's great to hear. Well, people who've never met you before, Scott, uh, quick quick intro to you. What, what are you all about at Volterra? Yeah, so um, so f- first of all, the the Storo Drive. I love the Storo Drive example. I used to live in Boston. I feel like you could have the whole show with videos of uh, Boston driving. Um, so, and, and that's actually where I started off my career. Um, over the last 10 years or so, I've been in the um, electric vehicle charging world, um, and it's really taken off um, in the last two, three, four years, and, um, and, and where kind of the, I feel like a switch has flipped to where the world started to realize that electrification is going to happen in the transportation sector, um, and it's been a great time to, to be in that sector. Volterra is a, a new kind of company, I'd say, where as opposed to just putting in charging stations or selling software, which is what the industry has done in the past. We're also buying real estate and trying to find um, customers, fleets who need real estate in addition to charging. And, and so maybe their existing depots are, are not sufficient for all of the electric charging they need. Um, and they need new real estate to, to locate their, their fleets and kind of change their operations to this uh, you know, new world of electrification. Yeah, Scott, I follow this space a lot. I love freight tech. I always cover AVs and EVs on here. And the one thing um, in the EV space I often hear the blowback on is, well, okay, but how do I charge my fleet, right? What is the hardest part of fleet electrification? I think there's a few areas where, um, you know, it's kind of hard to rate what the hardest part is. Um, Certainly what you're hearing about a lot, and, and we kind of recently wrote a playbook report on it, 
is is utility procurement and and so you know fleets may hear from their uh, vehicle suppliers yeah we can get you vehicles and then come to find out that it's two years three years for the utility to get the kind of power that um, the the fleet needs to charge these vehicles Um, and the kind of power you're putting at a site you know three megawatts five megawatts that's the power that maybe a small town would use on a normal day so we're talking about a huge amount of power going into a relatively small piece of property. Um, and so a utility is is not necessarily used to delivering that much power in such a small space. Um, and it takes a couple of years for, for that kind of power to be delivered. It's not like just going to a gas station and the, the fuel's there. Yeah, so you don't have to just be good at charging tech. You have to be good at power procurement. How do you go about that? Right. So I wish there was, you know, some magic bullet that was out there to um, to solve that issue. Um, one of the things that we've and, and a, a lot of us at the company have backgrounds in the utility sector. I worked for for 10 years before I got into EV charging in the utility space. So a, a lot of us kind of understand how the utility sector works and what kind of paperwork and communications and terminology you need to use to um, to get the utilities to um, bring the right kind of power. I mean, the good news is utilities have been providing power to industrial sites for 100 years or more. So uh, they know how to do this. It's just a question of the scale and the use case. Um, a couple of the things that we try to do is we try to start really early. So we may or may not have a customer, but we may already have a site and we already may be working with the utility. So by the time the customer comes to us, it's month eight, it's month 12 of a two-year process. So we can tell the customer, um, you're 12 months away, you're not two years away. Um, you know, We're also working with the utility in some cases to bring in temporary power. So um, maybe the utility can bring grid power in 36 months or 30 months, but there's technologies, distributed technologies that are out there that can help get the fleet running uh, much sooner than um, and while, while we wait for the utility power to, to come to the site. So what is your market? I mean, what is your charging site strategy? Does it depend on like the market, the demand for power? Does it depend on where power is available? How does that work? Yeah, so it's a couple of things. So first of all, we're trying to get a sense of where fleets uh, really want to be. And it may be that we talk to one particular customer or we talk to a group of customers who's, who, where we get a sense of that they need um, uh, charging in a certain location. So lately, for example, we've been seeing a lot of interest in Southern California. We've been seeing a lot of interest around ports. So you know, think Newark, Savannah, Houston, um, you know, Southern California. We've also been, um, you know, hearing interest in in downtown locations for the conversion of ride sharing. So, um, uh, you know, Uber, Lyft, uh, some of the autonomous companies that are coming into into being, um, who are all kind of have strong electrification strategies. So we're trying to get a sense of what the customer is looking for. Then we start a, a real estate site selection search, clearly with the utility in mind. So. Um, you know, we're working with the utility as we're finding sites and as we're developing designs to see how long it's going to take to get power on the site. So I think a key with, uh, with coordinating with the utility and coordinating with your customers is finding the intersection of what the customer is looking for in terms of a site and where the utility can have a realistic chance of getting the power that that customer needs. So how do you bridge that gap between the utilities needing to upgrade and where they are? And obviously, the EV companies developing their trucks, they're out, they're on their own timelines, and these don't always align. 
Yeah, no, and that's that's the hard part. You're never going to get, or it's impossible to get everything aligned perfectly the way you want it. We we try to start, you know, just we just try to start early, and and knowing that these projects take a little bit of time, um, we just try to start early. So we may find sites where we don't have a customer, but we're already working with the utility, um, and um, and you know, kind of doing the little things every day. Uh, to make progress. In some cases, it's not only just ut- working with the utility to get power. In some cases, it's working with uh, the local government officials to get the land use approvals. In some cases, it's, it's working through the environmental due diligence on a site, especially if it's like an industrial site where there's been you know, activity for a long time, um, you know, ensuring that the site's clear from an environmental perspective. Um, and then obviously working with our customers to ensure that site meets their operational requirements. So, um, you know, we have a, a team that kind of knows all these different facets. We're working closely with the customers to, to start to, to figure out their needs and we're starting the process early. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, there's no magic bullet, but you just have to kind of start putting one foot in front of the other. Is the charging on these sites, is that becoming uh, homogenized or do I have to drive around with like a, a bunch of different dongles in, in the cab of my truck? <laughs> right. It is becoming homogenized. I mean, historic, you know, you're, you're kind of converging on two standards. You know, one is the essentially the Tesla standard and one is the, the SAE CCS standard. Um, and, and even, you know, some of the um, the companies that have been adopting the SAE standard are also moving to the Tesla standard. Um, may, maybe five percent of the of the challenge of these sites is figuring out which dongle to go into the vehicle. Uh, so much of it is is you know finding the site, going through all the due diligence, bringing the power, doing all of the upgrades at the site to bring in the power. Once you've done that, um, the dongle is a, a relatively small challenge to solve, and and it's working with a customer and that customer's OEM. Uh, auto, you know, auto uh, uh, EV company to 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 figure out what the right answer is. Scott, what, you know, there's um, there's regulations coming up, so some there's some want by companies. Yeah. There's also some force coming down the right. line. When can EV companies? When when can we EV companies expect to sort of start running these regularly with their fleet? Where where are we at? Right, where we're at is I, I think what's driving the market right now, especially for like the medium and heavy duty trucks, is the regulation. Um, you know what we're hearing from customers is um, you know the regulations, whether it's the um, you know ACF rule in California or or you know other other rules that are coming down the pike, um, that that's driving a lot of their decision making in the at least in the near term. Um, but at the same time, the the long term is very much of like. Um, we know we want to decarbonize as a fleet, and 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 so we need to start start that process now. Whether it's regulations, you know, maybe regulations driving us in the short term. There, there's also you know the cha- just the various challenges that we've talked about, and so um, we have to work as an industry to make it easier for fleets uh, to uh, make that decision. Um, it's one thing if you can do a model on a spreadsheet, you know, a spreadsheet model that says, okay, the cost of electric trucks, you know, is cheaper than the cost of diesel. That's one thing, but there's so many other aspects that go into a fleet making a decision. As we've talked about the, the charging, you know, how long it's going to take to adopt it, all the operational elements that a fleet has to go through. Um, you, you know, for those of us in the working on electrification solutions and, and we're one piece of the puzzle, we really have to do a better job as, as this technology grows of making it easier for fleets to, to adopt this technology and take advantage of what we think are a lot of the benefits, economic and environmental. 
Yeah, if you're interested in this at all, or you've got regulations pushing it towards you at the start of the new decade or anything like that, you've got to go talk to Volterra. You've got to start making this planning happen now. How do they go do how do they go about doing that? Yeah, um, VolteraPower.com is our website. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Would love to would love to hear from from any anybody listening to the show on LinkedIn and yeah, see how we can we can help you uh, electrify your fleet, um, especially with uh, you know bringing in the right amount of power, bringing in the right amount of charging, and and finding a site that meets your needs. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Uh, a little cowbell for your daughter's softball team. I hope they do really well in their next season, and I hope my uh, my boys do well in their little league season. I appreciate your time today. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take it easy, everybody. You stick around. Lunch is going to come up next, and right afterwards, we got a fireside chat on real world value chain collaboration. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to live.freightwaves.com and register if you haven't. You can win that that Yukon stove thing. Make yourself some s'mores. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D O N E R the show at FW What the Truck. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Look us up on Freight Waves YouTube page. Take care, enjoy lunch, and don't be a stranger.